0: For the politics of Nashville, to the history of the Upper Cumberland, this is the Backroads and Backstories podcast with Senator Paul Bailey.
1: Welcome back to the podcast. I'm your host, Senator Paul Bailey. In today's episode, we have Grand Ole Opry member Jamie Daly from the bluegrass and country music duo Daly and Vincent. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Senator. Good to see you again. Well, we're so happy that you joined us today and you and I became friends a few years ago uh, through really some legislative processes and as well as uh, my assistant, Miss Brandy, and so we uh, became very good friends, especially knowing that you came from Jackson County. So uh, I'd like for our listeners to learn a little bit more about you and about you growing up in the Upper Cumberland and Jackson County and just kind of introduce yourself to our audience
0: well i'm jamie daly from gainesboro tennessee and gainesboro is a beautiful little town nestled in the hills north of cookville about 20 minutes south of slina if you will near Delhalla hollow lake and on the cordell Hall lake i grew up above the cumberland river and the roaring river park right there is where i grew up and uh, my dad is a musician and a singer Uh, locally, of course. He's 74 now, but when I was growing up, I was around music a lot, and I remember standing above the river up there singing to the top of my lungs, working nine to five, Dolly Parton's (laughs) song. and A few years ago, Dolly had us come to her office. She was singing on our Christmas record, and we were singing on three or four of her records, too, and and I told her that story about growing up in Gainesborough and singing nine to five. And she says, Well, what did you use for a microphone? And I said, A stick. Right. You know, and uh, that's how we grew up. And of course, she thought that was funny. But growing up in Gainesborough was a huge blessing for many reasons. The way we grew up there, we didn't have a whole lot. We didn't know that we didn't have a whole lot, but everyone knew everyone. It was fun when you were in town. Sometimes you would hear the church bells ringing. I wrote a song about that called Back to Jackson County. We rode horses on the riverbanks and through the river bottoms, picnics on the riverside. We did that a lot. It was, it was just a great American way of life. And when I go back there, I still uh, have a great sense of, of that same life. It's like you almost step back in time a little bit.
1: Well, one thing that you alluded to was the, the song that, that you've written about Jackson County, and that's something that has really impressed me about you and about your success is that you've not forgotten your roots. You've not forgotten where you um, come from. And also where you and I first connected was the fact that you have a heart for Jackson County, Gainesboro, as well as the Upper Cumberland, and you have been working very hard to try to bring economic uh, relief, economic recovery, health care relief, to the Upper Cumberland, and especially to Jackson County. And um, I I just think that that speaks volume about who you are as a person and that as someone that has become a member of the Grand Ole Opry, you still come home. Uh, I I think you're uh, spending your weekend in Jackson County this weekend, and I just think that's admirable, and I appreciate uh, that very much and your hard work for the people in Jackson County.
0: I appreciate that, and I, I appreciate uh, how you've always been there every time we've called, and it doesn't matter if I call you. We have a, a good team of people in Gainsborough that's trying hard, uh, from our county mayor all the way down to the people working in the city, and a young man named Jordan Hunter down there mm-hmm. that's helping right. very hard, and every time we've called you, uh, you've never not answered, and you've always called us back, and you've taken time for us, for, so I commend you for that and Upper Cumberland is very lucky to have you in their corner uh, and and helping. And as you know, we are living in a a most unprecedented time, as I said recently in a a graduation commencement speech to socially distanced graduates in Jackson County. Two of the things that I talked about was we are living in an unprecedented time, and it is important for those students, I believe, to not forget where they came from, no matter how successful they are. Mm -hmm. We can all come back and try and help the community and give back when we can. And I think that's very important to not forget where you came from. But I love the people in Jackson County and the Upper Cumberland. And, you know, Senator, I played all over the Upper Cumberland. Right. As a kid, I had a mattress in the back of my blazer, my oh, old Chevy wow. blazer that I yeah. bought. Bagging groceries, mm-hmm. and you know, you, you could get out of town in it, you couldn't get back in town with it. Right. You know, <laughs> but I, I I played all over and and stayed in the back of my blazer and and played contests and festivals and Lester Flat Day and you know uh, all over the place. And so these people mean a great deal to me. The Upper Cumberland means a great deal to me, and I think you would agree that these folks in the Upper Cumberland are some of the finest. Oh, absolutely. among us Americans, and we truly do appreciate and love them.
1: Absolutely, and and you know, Lester Flat Days is coming up on October the 10th in, in Sparta. I don't know if uh, you're part of the lineup this year as far as the bluegrass uh, uh, musicians. I know you keep a very busy schedule, but... Well, I would uh, like
0: to talk about that right there, actually. Well, okay. I well, didn't realize that they were having that that day, but since COVID hit, as you're well aware... Everyone has, in music, of course, has had to become innovative. We've had to figure out what are we going to do? How are we going to combat an economic crisis within the music industry through COVID? And one of the things that I decided to do is I have close to 100 acres in Gainsborough, so I said, why can't I use my property to host an outdoor, socially distanced concert? Oh, wow. So I put that on sale and thought, I'll go for it and see what we do here. And after we measured I talked to the Tennessee State Health Commissioner and made sure I had their clearance. I talked to the county mayor, made sure I had his clearance, the Jackson County Health Department. And we said, okay, we want we want to encourage everyone to, to, to come, but to be safe, socially distanced. We're going to check your temperature to gain. Mm-hmm. But it sold out. Oh, wow. And it sold out in six minutes. And so we added a second show, a matinee show, and now it has sold out. Uh, so, I'm having that in Gainsborough the same day as Sparta, but don't worry, you know, we're sold out and can't take anymore. <laughs> but it's very interesting, Senator. We're having people come from Arizona, Utah, Iowa, Maine, Manhattan, Florida, South Carolina, Virginia, Ohio, uh, Missouri, Texas. It's not really locally wow. driven for some reason, but all the people from out here bought the tickets up. Right. So, when we talk about economic relief, One of the things that we've noticed, which is good for Jackson County, the Wildwood Resort in Granville has called and said, we're getting booked up by all of your fans to stay here for the weekend. Uh, We're going to run a little street fair and the Bull and Thistle and the Stolen Coin and all the businesses there are getting reservations made already. They're starting to fill up, which is great. So I'm looking very forward to that and very forward to having people come and visit not only Gainesboro, but the Upper Cumberland from all over America.
1: Well, and that's... Back to where we talked about, you've been promoting Jackson County in the Upper Cumberland. That's kind of been your vision is to have an amphitheater, if you will, there in the Jackson County area. You've said many times that you could sell those seats out uh, in an amphitheater, not only with you and and with Daly and Vincent, but as well as having other. Country music stars come in, and, and that would certainly— stars,
0: Gospel stars, yeah. yeah it
1: just yeah. So it's, uh, there's a multitude there, and so you're, you're kind of proving your point.
0: I am. There, there is also a place that I thought I might be wrong, too, and so we have to look at where we can improve in our thought process about this. So I will basically say that we are going to do, for the first time, with a lot of help and support, we're doing our very first Cumberland River Fest brought to you by Daly and Vincent— at the airport, because we don't have a venue, but at the oh. Jackson County Airport next year, we've got the Oak Ridge Boys coming. Oh, wow. We've got Jake Hoot coming, Daly and Vincent, and several more. And I hope you will come and, and get on stage, and we'll, we'll <laughs> let you do the Lee Greenwood song with us. That would be fun. <laughs> um, God bless the USA. But uh, anyway, we are probably going to have a lot of people at that. Right. And so with that being said, another thing we have to worry about with the amphitheater that I didn't think of up front is weather can right. play a big part. Right. So I've been talking to some folks about helping me raise money to build an actually an actual pretty good sized performing arts center. Gotcha. In order, so one of the things it would do is provide a few jobs, but also bring a pride to a community mm-hmm. and bring in, be able to bring in great acts, which I can help train and and help get that done because you could have um, you know seasonal concerts, plays, or or whatever. And uh, it can be done and it can be successful. It has been for many rural towns across America because I I play them. I, I know what they're about and what can happen.
1: Well, again, it's amazing to me. You listed a lot of states that people are coming to the concert that you're going to have on October the 10th at your farm. So you have been able to reach a wide audience, not only because of your... Appearances on the Grand Ole Opry, but you actually have your own TV
0: show. And so, and that airs on? Circle Network, and uh, that is, we're on four days a week, and, and Circle just signed with Dish, so we're going into 71 million new homes on top of the 60 million we already have. Oh, wow. And also, it's on Roku, and it's getting ready to be on a few more networks, or a few more Things coming up where a lot of people will be able to get it that hadn't been able to get it. It's now the home of the Grand Ole Opry, our television show, many others. And then I just signed on and shot 26 episodes as the new Western Movie Nights host uh, that will start October 11th that they're announcing today. So we're very excited. And on top of that, the Grand Ole Opry has announced that we're going to start trying to ease some small audiences back into the Grand Ole Opry house to help celebrate 95 years of Grand Ole Opry and, of course, the first family of country music.
1: Well, that's awesome. And, of course, again, we go back to the economic piece. And as we know, a tide raises all boats. And the economic piece for those local businesses definitely benefit from those coming from out of town, from out of state. Uh, They're filling up the hotels. They're eating in our restaurants. And so you're bringing that economic piece to the area that that you and I have talked about many times. Now, back to the Grand Ole Opry. Uh, I've been your guest there several times backstage. It's an awesome experience. And it's really an humbling experience to walk through those hallways especially to see the photos hanging uh, on the wall there. But one thing that I've found, it doesn't matter how big of a superstar you are, they're still very approachable. They're someone that'll just meet you in the hallway and say, hey, how are you doing tonight? What's your name? I mean, it's just, I mean, you guys are a family there. And that's just what I was just awestruck by that just how really down to earth some of those superstars treat you whenever you're there
0: it is it is like coming home uh it's our what we call our musical home and all of the other stuff that sometimes you hear about is checked at the door when you come through the door of the grand mm-hmm. Ole opry because we are a family and we want to make sure everyone that's there is treated like a good friend that's stopping by mm-hmm. and roy acuff as a rule, and it still stays in place, uh, though he's gone now. Is dressing room number one? When you have dressing room number one, sometimes we have it, or number two or number three. You always keep the door open, and you don't close it, okay? Because you want your neighbors to stop in and say hello and feel welcomed. And so that is a very big deal to us, right? And that is a tradition that we will uphold with honor.
1: And again, being there and and being able to be in your dressing rooms, it's. It's also a gathering place for yeah. your family, your friends, mm-hmm. those that are just wandering the halls, such as myself. And and everyone, I mean, you just stop by the doorway and someone will turn around and say, hey, come on in here, you know, and you... I mean you may be looking at Luke Bryan or you you know you may be looking at at someone that you're like oh man I just never thought I'd have the opportunity that old Aaron t-
0: tipping guy that, that Aaron <laughs> tipping guy
1: you never thought you'd have the opportunity to really interact with with someone like that and then just some of the great musicians you know there's a lot of musicians that that are there and 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 you know there's their names may not be known to people but they have been the backbone of the Grand Ole Opry and yeah. and and a lot of these superstars yeah. and country music stars uh, by just being able to uh, to play all of the various instruments. So that's it's it just I just appreciate the opportunity for uh, to be able to experience
0: that and and, and you uh, know you're that, always welcome. Uh, you're always welcomed and. Uh, I would like to tell a story that was, was if, we, if we got time to oh, tell sure, a story, absolutely. Um, that was touching. The Grand Ole Opry called me last year and said, we need you to go to Cookville, Tennessee, and go to 94.7 FM and hide out in Philip Gibbons' office. I said, okay. <laughs> and they said, Jake Hoot, uh, I had talked to them about getting Jake on the Opry because that was one of his biggest dreams. And when I called them, they said, we're already one step ahead of you. We're getting ready to do this, but we want you, since you're a member, to go and surprise him and invite right. him on the radio. And so there's video of all this, and I drove to Cookville, hit out in the office. Jake doesn't know I'm there, and I walk in. He looks kind of surprised. Why are you here in the middle of my radio interview? You know? <laughs> and I, you know, I asked him, I said, you know, one of the most important and most elite institutions in country music and clubs is that of the Grand Ole Opry. Mm-hmm. And we've heard you say many times you'd like to play on the Grand Ole Opry. So as a member of the First Family Country Music, and on behalf of all of us in the family, we'd like to invite you to come and play the Grand Ole Opry. Right. This big old boy just started squalling right there and <laughs> right there in 94.7 FM. So he came, and he walks in. We have cameras, and we're staying to the side and letting him walk down the hallway and watching him just ooh and all over it. And then he gets out to the stage, and he starts to walk to the circle. He said, come on, go with me. And, I, and Darren and Vincent and I said, no, this is your moment. Right. This is your time to enjoy the circle on your own. And so he goes out, and he's just crying. And it was so wonderful to watch this fine human being, who is an an outstanding singer and talent, stand on that circle and enjoy the moment by himself without an audience. Then later on, he went out, and he sang uh, three songs and just tore the audience all to pieces because the Upper Cumberland was a family. They showed up. They did. When he came off stage, we said, hey, we're going to give up one of our songs, and won't you come out and sing another one? And while you're out there, just sing another one with us when you get done. Right. <laughs> so it, was, it was fun to share the love and be there with our Opry family and our very proud and outstanding Upper Cumberland family as well.
1: Well, if you remember, I was your guest that night as well, and and that was an, you know, as you have described, uh, just an awesome experience to see Jake Hoot from Cookville, Tennessee, winner of the voice, have another dream come true by stepping out onto that Grand Ole Opry stage and and, you know, he was
0: just um, – Oh, he got tickled because I looked at him before, before he went out there. I said, whatever you do, let's make Jackson and Putnam County very proud tonight. <laughs> and of course, he just laughed. He said, count on it. We gave each other five. <laughs> well, and and you described that, that he wanted you guys
1: to kind of go out there with him. And, and I remember just, you know, I was – kind of back in the shadows, I, I remember him kind of looking around and kind of saying that to you guys. Yeah, is like, it, come on, let's yeah, go. Yeah, <laughs> come, come on, let's go. And, and, and uh, no, man, this is your time to shine. Yeah, that's so, right.
0: So that's awesome. And, and but, but isn't it wonderful for the Upper Cumberland to have all this music heritage? Oh, absolutely. I mean, look around us. Lester Flat, you know, now Jay Coot, uh, all these wonderful Uncle Jimmy Thompson. Right. One of the first Opry members, the first Opry member. From over in the Granville area. Right. Did you know that? that yes. That's a big deal. And at Granville there is Jackson County.
1: Yes. In Jackson County. So what is it about this area that you think that causes the inspiration for bluegrass music, country music? Uh, what is it about uh, this area that has produced uh, some uh, you know, very well-known bluegrass and country music stars?
0: I think it's in our blood. I think it's in your blood. It's in my, you know, I've heard you sing. I can hear it. It's, it's what you love. It's, it's what we all love. It's just in our blood. It's who we are. Right. And one of our songs called, I'll leave my heart in Tennessee, uh, which I love, by the way. Oh, thank, you. Yeah, yeah, I thank you. I mean, that's one of my favorites. Thank you very much. And uh, it has the line in it. It's in my blood. It's in my marrow, you know, it's, right. and it just is. And so you look at how, you know, most of us grew up. We grew up in the hills and on the farms and riding horses and, uh, it's just who we are. Right. So um,
1: who have been your biggest influences as far as uh, your music career? I know you mentioned
0: your dad. And just My dad, looked- yeah, JB. He's got a brand-new CD out that I, promote, that I produced on him and got on the Pinecastle record label, his first record deal at 74 years old. Wow. And he's got Parkinson's. And the CD went number one on Amazon and stayed there for 13 weeks, I think it was. On bluegrass Amazon, mm-hmm. and I said, "Daddy, you're you're ahead of Alison Krauss and several others on there. I mean, This is a really big deal." He said, "Well," <laughs> <You> know, <laughs> and he had, you know, uh, four songs that made the top ten charts, and so he's been a humongous, you know, impression on me and in my music. But when we get over into who did I listen to and who were my favorites, the Statler Brothers, who are dear, dear, dear friends of mine, were my biggest. Really? Influences. And they are my heroes. And, you know, we sang for them as they went into the Country Music Hall of Fame. We surprised them by coming out singing one of their songs. Uh, We sang their old song, Do You Know You're My Sunshine, the one they wrote, not the old one that that you might think of. And Reba McIntyre came out and and, and sang uh, Flowers on the Wall for them. Mm Mm-hmm. And so they have been my biggest inspiration. And I might tell you, going back and tying this all in, we talk about the Upper Cumberland music growing up here. As a nine-year-old kid, I was running around the yard singing that nine-to-five song of Dolly's. But my dad had bought me a boombox and set out on the retaining wall, plugged it in, and put a cassette tape in. And I'm running around the yard, and I hear for the first time this voice, Oh, Elizabeth. And I stopped which is very hard for me to do because I had ADD, and I, I ran over and I got down in the grass and I looked at the the radio and just listened, and I heard this beautiful four-part four part country quartet harmony. I right. heard gospel quartet, but not country quartet. Right, Dad, who is that? Son, that's the Statler Brothers. And then I heard this awesome kickoff on a guitar, and I heard the song, I'll go to my grave loving you, you know. Like, oh, my gosh, this is the best thing I've ever heard. I said, Dad, I want to do this when I grow up, you know. And I never dreamed that I would meet these fellas. But here's where it ties in. We all had a good cry, us and the Statlers. In 2010, we asked them for their blessing to do a tribute album to the Statlers.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And we picked their greatest hits, and I said the one we have to cut is Elizabeth, because mm-hmm. that's the first one that made me fall in love with country music. Right? I'll be daggone gone. If we didn't cut that thing, and I'm sitting at home one night enjoying a good bowl of ice cream like us Upper Cumberland people love, love to do, <laughs> and I receive a phone call from the Grammy office. Mr. Daly, uh, we would like to inform you that Daly and Vincent, you're nominated for your very first country music mainstream Grammy nomination. I was like, we've had bluegrass and gospels before, but country? Mm-hmm. And he's like, I said, who are we nominated with? They said Lady annabelle Little Big Town, Zach Brown Band, and I'm like, you are kidding me for what? And they said, for the song Elizabeth. Oh. I started crying. You know, I was like, this, I cannot believe this. And so I knew it was over before it started because that's when Lady Antebellum had Need You Now out. And I thought, right. that's going to win everything. I called Darren. We cried. I called the Statlers, got them all on the phone. I said, You guys had a number one hit in 83 with this song. Mm-hmm. You won award after award. That song went gold and platinum for them. I said, 30 years later, We have a country music. Grammy nomination on the summer. Wow. They were touched. They were crying on the phone. We were like a big bunch of babies, you know. Just, <laughs> but we went on to the Grammys and uh, enjoyed the show, the awards show. Lady Annabellum did win. Right. And on the way out the back door, we slit their bus tires. Did you? <laughs> <laughs> Being the nice guys we are, you know.
1: <laughs> well, that is an awesome story.
0: So that's how it all tied in full circle. It was really cool.
1: Yeah. Well, very good. So the Statler brothers uh, were... A huge inspiration, Yes. Their, their song, Elizabeth.
0: Yeah, and then later on, uh, a few years later, my dad put another uh, tape in, and I heard this bluegrass and bluegrass gospel group singing. and I'd never heard anything like it either, called Doyle Lawson and Quicksilver. Oh, yeah. yeah. And dad said, they're in Tompkinsville, Kentucky this weekend, son. Let's go see them. And we went, and I sat, and my I was in awe. My mouth dropped. And I was mm-hmm. like, wow. So I kept watching Doyle, and. Never really got to know him. And a gentleman in Alabama, when I was 21 years old, saw Doyle. And Doyle was having band changes. And mm-hmm. he said, uh, Rick Jarman was his name, said, there's a, a, a kid up in Gainesboro, Tennessee, that sings really high, and he knows every one of your songs, and mm-hmm. he would fit you. And Doyle said, okay, I'll call him. I didn't know that. I got gotcha. you. So at this time, I'm working at Fleet Guard here in Cookville. Okay. And at the, you know, building filters. Right and saving money to go to college. The phone rings, and I go over after work. I'm at home, and I, hello? Uh, This is Doyle Lawson. Is Jamie Daly there. Well, I thought it was friends playing a trick on me, and I said, yeah, right, and I'm Bill Clinton. And he says, "Uh, no, this is Doyle Lawson. And I thought, no. He said, son, do you have an ID caller? And we had that big old box ID caller, and it said Kingsport, Tennessee, and I was like, oh. And I get back on the phone and said, sir, I'm an an idiot. I'm I'm moving to another country. (laughs) He didn't even laugh. Oh, okay. So, you know, he said, uh, come and try out. And there was 13, I think, of us that tried out, and um, I got the job. Wow. But here's what I want to say about that to aspiring musicians. This is really important. If you're wanting to do this for a living, if you're wanting to sing and play for a living, this is really true. When I went to try out for Doyle and got on his bus – he told the band to leave after we sang. And he said, son, I'm going to tell you something. He said, I think I can get this out of you. He said, you've got a lot of bad vocal habits. You've got a lot of – he said, you're going to have to work harder than you ever worked in your life you want to be in this band. I said, yes, sir, I do. And he said, well, here's, here's the deal. I'm going to hire you. Be back here in two weeks. I was so excited. Right. I ran off the bus, right. got in my car, was going across the parking lot, and he waves me down, runs out, waves, whoa, whoa, stop, stop. And I rolled the window down. He said, would you like to know what kind of money you're going to be making? <laughs> it didn't matter. at that. It didn't means. matter. And my point is you have to do and play and sing music first because you love it. Right. If you truly have a passion for it and you truly love it, the rest will come. Right. I think that's, that's true about a lot of things.
1: You've got to love your profession to be really good at it. And then the other part comes... That is an awesome story. And how long were you? Uh, how long did you stay with uh, Doyle?
0: I was with Doyle nine years, and we had a good run. We we won Vocal Group of the Year for seven years. We won Songs and Albums of the Year. We had uh, six Grammy nominations together. Wow! Wrote thirty four songs together. Yeah. And he remains one of your very good friends today. Very much so. So much so that I had him on our television show last week. He and Quicksilver they came down and. Uh, shot an episode with us, and I've had him back at the Grand Ole Opry. He had not played the Opry in 10 years since I had been there. And uh, I was talking to him one day. He said, son, I never get to play the Opry anymore. And I said, we'll, we'll change that, and 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 uh, had him back on the Opry. And it was so fun to watch my ball, old boss go out there and enjoy the Opry and play it again. It was
1: fun. I just want to touch on this for just a second. He told you you had some um, bad vocal Habits and instrument habits. Play my instruments. Okay. Yeah. So so how did how did he work with you to overcome that? Did did he work with you personally? Did he get yes. a vocal coach no. for you? I mean, how did? No, him-
0: he's hands on, and he was very tough. And people from the past uh, will tell you, especially from the past, he's mellowed a lot these days. But from the past, they will tell you, it was like going to a, a military music school. I got you. Mm-hmm. Here's how you sing that note. You're using too much air. Using Not enough air. You're singing flat. You're singing sharp on this one note. Son, you're not singing the right part. Uh, Pronounce your words like this when you sing or pronounce your words like that when you sing. and um, You're playing the wrong note. Cut the bass notes off when you're playing because I was playing upright bass at the time. Cut those notes off. Don't let them sustain. It was so many things. And then when I started playing rhythm guitar for him, it was a whole different new training ground that I had to go through. But for the first two years, he was really hard on me. But I'm glad he was. It paid off.
1: So today in, in your career, do you still use vocal coaches to, to assist? I do.
0: I had vocal issues last June. We had been running a hundred miles an hour and we had been, praise the Lord, we'd been, you know, selling out show after show and we were getting where we were doing two shows a day and we were, you know, pulling up a thousand to twenty five hundred people and afterwards trying to go out and meet and greet. And those were going for two and three hours autograph right. sessions after a show. And I'm like, whoa. And I came home one day. We had a day off and had rehearsal the second day. The guys came to the house, got their instruments out. We started rehearse, and I started singing, and nothing came out. I couldn't make it do anything, and I literally panicked. Gotcha. And so they all left, and I was at home for three days. I said, "I can't do this. And what is going on?" And the phone rang, and it was Allison Kraus, and she says, "Jamie, I've heard what's going on with your voice." She had paralyzed, which you can read about on Google. You can Google it. She had paralyzed her vocal cord in 2013. She'd gone out to an arena. Mm-hmm. She said it was packed. and She said the band kicked off the song. She said, I sang three notes, and it just went dead. I couldn't do anything. Mm-hmm. And so she went to a vocal coach named Ron Browning in Nashville. And she said, long story short, I'm setting you up with my vocal coach, and you're going to go see Dr. Catherine Garrett at Vanderbilt, mm-hmm. and you're going to get checked out. Yes, ma'am. <laughs> So I went to Vanderbilt. They ran the scope down my throat. Over a month's time, three times, they ran it down. And they right. said, Nothing is damaged. You're not paralyzed. Nothing. We can't figure out what's going on here. So then I went to a therapist there. They sent me to therapy. And they found out that the back of my upper back and neck, the muscles were locked up from just stress and over talking and just right. you know. so they gave me things to Minimize the damages on that, and to try to correct it, get it better. And then I started going to the vocal coach, and he had me doing some of the weirdest things you've ever heard of in your life with my voice. I mean, I, <laughs> he, I mean, you know, he works with he worked with Whitney Houston, he worked with he he works with Amy Grant, Allison Krauss, Winona Judd, you know, all these people he's worked with. He's bona fide. And so I went to him for three months, could not sing. It started coming back after about four months. I was scared to death. So I took a whole month off of July and just relaxed and didn't hardly do anything. But but praise the Lord, uh, it 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 came back. And uh, thank you, Allison, for for setting all that
1: up for. Me. That's a true friend. It's a true friend. He goes back to that uh, being a family friend, She's being an Opry member and a
0: that, a, a a family. You know,
1: fa- a family friend. So tell us a little bit about uh, how you ended up a member of the Grand Ole Opry, because I mean that is a huge honor in the country music. Industry and and there's you know there's a lot of folks that um, aspire to be a member of the Grand Ole Opry and sometimes they're not always asked to be a member. So
0: there's only 230, I guess it's 42, 242 members ever. And there's only now 89 of us living. Wow, really? a lot of people don't know that. I did not know. And that. if you notice over the last couple of years, they've been adding more. Right, <laughs> right. So when we started daily and Vincent in January 31st of 2007, one of our very first goals is, and as you well know, and I will say this to all the aspiring musicians, if you're going to do this, you need to have a plan, you need to have a team, and you need to execute the plan, and you need to think in terms of 5, 10, 15 years down the road, build strong foundations, and be able to build on those foundations. So one of the plans, when we got our team together, we hired our manager, we hired a publicist, we couldn't afford all this. Hired an attorney, got a good record label. And when we all sat down at the conference table, like we are today, I said, one of our dreams is we want to play the Grand Ole Opry. We want that to be our first date we ever play. Mm -hmm. Now, I had played it with Doyle and Quicksilver. Darren Vincent had played it every week with Ricky Skaggs, who was a member. And we said, we want that to be our first tour date. Mm -hmm. And everybody's like, oh, geez, man, that's, I don't think we can pull this off. I said, we've got to try, give it everything we got. Long story short, our first manager, Don Light, who had managed Jimmy Buffett and the Oak Ridge boys and the Happy Goodman family, he had a lot of gut. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And he went to the opera executives and met with them for four months, just banging them over the head. We got to make this happen. Got to make this happen. They finally said yes. Wow. So we hired a video team, which you can see on this on YouTube. And our first night at the the Grand Ole Opry was December 29th of 2007. Okay. And, and it was being held at the Old Ryman Auditorium, which was fantastic. Mm-hmm. And we walked out on stage with just one microphone and a guitar and a mandolin, and we sang a song by the market that was our first hit. Then we brought our band out for the second song. I was so nervous, Paul, I couldn't even – my knees were knocking. I couldn't have found the back door if you told me to. <laughs> But it went off great, so much so that they kept asking us back and back and back. Fast forward 10 years. 10 years later, they call. The Opry calls and says, hey, guys, we're going to give you a 30-minute segment at the Grand Ole Opry of just yours to celebrate your 100th show and 10 years on the Grand Ole Opry. I said, you're kidding me. Nobody gets 30 minutes on the Opry. Now, this is 2017? I'm sorry, 2016. It was December 2016. De- okay. sixty. And uh, it's 10 years on the date. you know. It's like, mm-hmm. Wow. And it was being held at the Ryman again because that's what they do in December. They move it to the Ryman. Well, thank you so much. And they said, call anybody you want to be on that stage with you to sing on the Grand Ole Opry. Well, my dad had never played the Grand Ole Opry, and I always yes. wanted to. It was his dream. I called his daddy. You want to go play the Opry Saturday night? Why, son? I ain't stepping out on that stage, and I—I I don't need to be. I'm just like, yeah, you're going to. It's like, <laughs> oh my gosh, you know. So I called my mother, but let's let's back up a little bit. My mother and dad and Darren's family had been sworn to secrecy about something that Darren Vincent and I knew nothing about. They had been sworn to secrecy for right. two months. Two months. That's that's a pretty big... <laughs> and so I didn't know that. So I called mother and I said, mom, we're getting... A... She said, oh, hon, I can't come. She said, I'm busy that night. I'm okay. like, wow. That's not like mom. Mm-hmm. And Darren told his wife, Julie, she said, oh, honey, I'm I'm going to New York to shop with my mother. We, we can't be there. It's like, what in the world? This is a big night to celebrate 10 years, 100, you know. And none of our family said they could come. So we, other than dad and Darren's mom, they were going to get on stage. Right. We called several, uh, we called Dolly, she was going to be on tour. We called Dirks Bentley, he was going to be on tour. So I called Johnny Cash's son, John Carter, and mm-hmm. said, come sing with us. Hey, we're in town. Okay. I called Marty Stewart. Yeah, I'm in town. Okay, I'll come <laughs> sing. He's like, okay. So we get out there, and and we see this big box backstage, Paul, and this big cake. It looked like a big cake. I said, Darren, I bet you that's a 10-year anniversary cake, and they're going to bring it out get some applause. We'll take pictures, sing the last song while all we're done. How cool. Yeah, I bet it is too. <laughs> so we get out there, and the rhyming's packed. And they bring us on. We sing songs with everybody. Marty, We bring Marty Stewart out, and we get around that old microphone, and we sing an old bluegrass gospel song called "Rank Stranger. It was so fun. And when we finished, I knew we were live on the radio, so I did what you're supposed to do. That was Marty Stewart right here on the Grand Ole Arbery, WSM, 650 AM. The crowd's applauding, you know. And Marty said, whoa, 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 whoa. Wait, wait, wait. And I'm like, "Uh uh-oh, what did I say wrong, you know? He said, boys, we got a little business to finish here. And I was like, business? Then I thought, oh, the cake. Yeah. I thought I had it all figured out. (laughs) And he said, uh, you know, gentlemen, and I'm paraphrasing some here, so you can watch this on YouTube. It's on there. But he said, you know, gentlemen, the most important and the most elite institution in country music is that of the Grand Ole Opry. And if you're going to be in country music and you're going to be in bluegrass, it's the most important institution you can be a part of. And said, uh, by the way, did you know, uh, I think you got a lot of family in the audience tonight. We said, oh, no, we, we <laughs> actually don't. <laughs> Two people. He said, hit the house lights. And up in the balcony was all of our family, our mother, you know, brothers, sisters, cousins. Like, what in the world? <laughs> Darren's wife, you know, it's like, right. what is going on? And he said, uh, you know, gentlemen, country music loves you. Country music needs you. The Grand Ole Opry loves you. The Grand Ole Opry needs you. And the Grand Ole Opry welcomes you. Oh, wow. And we just like him doing that, you start crying. well you know darren fell to his knees started praying Mm -hmm. i thought i was going to have a heart attack needed some new underwear (laughs) so they brought the cake out and you know they invited us become members marty did and then you fast forward to march of 2017 was the induction date and the big party backstage but that night uh they had a big party for us afterwards after the invite Uh uh-huh and Darren and I sent our bus on with our band to Indianapolis, downtown Indianapolis, because we had to show the next night. And so Darren and I had to drive our cars, so I couldn't sleep anyway. So I drove all night up through there, and Darren drove his car, and we started getting calls. And it was amazing. All of these big stars we had never even heard from or talked to mm-hmm. would call and say, hey, we just heard the news. We wanted to welcome you to our family. And, of course, I'm just crying going <laughs> <laughs> up and then the the induction night, uh, Old Crow Medicine Show, and, and Grand Ole Opry star Jeannie Seeley um, inducted us. And to stay true to my roots and who I appreciate and love, we sang the first song, again, that we were singing on the Opry that was our hit that started our career by the mark. Mm-hmm. And then uh, also talked about our parents. And then I sang I'll Go to My Grave Loving You for the Statlers. There you go. And – uh Jenny Seely, we were walking out to do to doing the induction. 4,500 people see the upper Cumberland showed up again big mm-hmm. time that night. Thank you all. Um, she looks at me and she says, Now look, and you got to know Jenny Seeley, one of the you know longest members of the opera. She said, Look, I'm wearing my false eyelashes tonight, so don't you get me to crying because they'll fall off. <laughs> so I'm laughing as we're walking out. We get out there, they do this wonderful induction. And as I turn to walk off, I'm crying and squalling. She's holding on to my arm, and she says, Well, I'm glad you're not wearing your false eyelashes." <laughs> <laughs> so it was a great night, and all the family was there, and, and a lot of Opry members came, the Oaks, everybody, uh, mm-hmm. to join our party. And it was a night I will never, ever forget. Oh, absolutely. I've, I feel like I've talked too much, but that's no, the story. No, I mean, this is
1: this is something that you know our listeners want to hear. They especially... I want to hear those stories because it's, uh, again, it's just, it's real. It's who you are. And we're able to share in a a, a huge milestone in, in your career and in your life. And, and it, it makes us feel like that uh, we're part of your family. And uh, you are. And
0: if you think about it, Paul, like my grandparents, Daisy Daly and John Daly, they were old farmers and they didn't have a lot, but they sat every Friday and Saturday night. Uh, and they listened to the radio, the Grand Ole Opry. So I thought about them, it's like, man, what if they were back in gainsborough right now, listening to that radio popping and crisping, and mm-hmm. and heard their grandson, you know, sing on the Opry and become a member? I thought about them. Right, right. Absolutely. It's part of who we are here. It's yeah. part of all of us in the Upper Cumberland country music, bluegrass, gospel, mm-hmm. and the Grand Ole Opry.
1: Right. It all goes hand in hand.
0: It does. It
1: all goes hand in hand. You're listening to Backroads and Backstories with uh, Jamie Daly as my guest today from the Bluegrass and Country Music duo Daly and Vincent. Uh, let's segue over to just a couple of more questions for you. And 2020 has been an interesting year for all of us, and especially for country music tours. So, how have you adapted? How has the grand Ole Opry adapted? But you know, in in particular, it it's had to affect your concerts that you had scheduled and so forth. And of course, you're able to still do your TV program, which reaches uh, millions of people. But being on tour, tell us tell us how that has kind of changed this year. Do you see it? Opening back up, uh, do you already have new dates established? Just kind of update the audience on, on where we are as far as the tours in the future.
0: March 13, we were getting ready to do, do two shows in South Carolina, and a friend of mine who works at the White House, Catherine O'Neill, called, and she says, just giving you a heads up, um, we're getting ready to get some pretty bad news, and she says, I think it's going to affect – You know, we're really close. She said, in other words, I want you to get home. So, like, okay. And then we started seeing more breaking news about the virus and how bad it was supposedly getting. And after she called, we were just getting ready to walk out on stage, and my manager calls. And he said, as soon as you finish this date, fire the bus up, you're not going on to Virginia and on to D.C. because we had dates up through there. And I said, oh, what's, you know, is this really as bad as, you know Catherine everybody saying it is yes and says by the way all your dates are falling they're canceling right and left it's like wow and uh he said and 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 rumor had gotten around too that that the state was going to state of tennessee was possibly going to shut down that was the rumors flying around whether it was true or not we didn't know what to believe and so I didn't want to call you and bug you, you know and you hang up on me so no no <laughs> yeah But anyway, uh, we finished the show, got on the bus, started heading home, and we're getting calls from our manager constantly. You know, the promoters are saying, this is falling, this is going. And it wasn't too long. The Grand Ole Opry is saying, we're we're suspending for now. And it's like, holy cow. So we knew we were going to be hurt because we just, at that night, we lost about 78 more dates for the year. That's a lot of revenue. Mm Mm-hmm. And not only that, the upcoming television shows that we were supposed to shoot, all those episodes, put on hold, suspended You know, it's like, whoa. So we get home, and it took us a month to shut the business down. There were so right. many loose ends, it took us a month to get it shut down. And my property in Gainsborough is called Flagler Point, uh, named after a dear, dear friend of mine in, in Palm Beach. But I went there, and I stayed there for a month and a half. Mm -hmm. and didn't move. I was scared to death because we didn't know what we didn't know. Right, exactly. I mean, it could be bad, could not be bad. We just didn't know. So I thought I'm going to play it safe and I stayed in the woods by myself (laughs) and saw nobody and cooked every meal there other than my dad. And while I was there, I started thinking, okay, how are we going to innovate through this? Because people were saying we're going to be up and running again by April, May, June. I've read enough of books on pandemics, EMP attacks, government uh, strategies that I thought this is not gonna bounce back anytime soon in our industry. We'll be the first shutdown, we'll be the last back to work. Period. Right. Cause I mean you could you could common sense tells you people scared they're not gonna come out and mm-hmm. see you. Mm-hmm. Rightfully so. So I started thinking, how are we going to innovate through this? And man, for the for the second month I'm there, I I, I couldn't come up with anything. And I'm watching what other people are doing. Then we started thinking about, as other artists had thought about, I'm not the one to come up with this, but I had thought about, well, drive-in theaters, maybe that's an option. We need to start thinking about outdoor fairgrounds where we can space everybody out. We need to be thinking about, you know, outdoor festivals. Are they going to run? Are they not going to run? Luckily for us, our fan base is so loyal. The Mm -hmm. Daily Events fan base is so loyal They were giving us just tons of moral support online, and we could feel they were with us. They were behind us. You know, we're praying for you. We're 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 here for you. And so I thought, you know, that made me feel better. The Grand Ole Opry called and said, "We're going to start doing TV, and we want you to come host it with Ricky Skaggs." But it's going to be no audience there.
1: Mm -hmm. Wow,
0: Paul. We get to the Opry. This was in, I think, by this time it's May, and we walk in backstage the Opry. Nobody in the hallway. Mm-hmm. They put Ricky in one dressing room, me in one dressing room, Darren in one dressing room, and each band member in a dressing room by themselves. Mm-hmm. And we come in with gloves on and masks. and We rehearse in a big old circle in a huge room far away from each other. And, and by this time, we'd not sang in two and a half months. Ricky hadn't either. And we were all trying to learn his stuff, and he was trying to learn our stuff. And we go out to do this on TV to a 4,500-seater that's empty and cameras looking at you. Right. And Now, is this live? This is this is live. Okay. And yeah. I'm thinking, boy, this is going to be different for, for, for me anyway. So they spread us out on stage, and you can watch some of this online too and on Circle TV, but we go out there, and we start doing our songs, and I thought, you know what? Have a good time. You're blessed to be, a, be able right. to be here because other musicians are sitting at home. Right. And I just smiled, and had a big time, and loved every note we sang. And it was so odd because you didn't have any applause mm-hmm. or audience. Mm-hmm. But I left there thinking, boy, this has changed the music world. This has changed it. So after that is when I came up with the idea to do the the show at my property to try to start cranking the business again and try to figure out how to build models where you can have the space to socially distance People mm-hmm. in order to keep them safe, and so one of the things we've done, we've ordered boxes of boxes of hand sanitizer for our guests that come. We encourage masks. Mm-hmm. We will, you know, we can't enforce that, right? But we encourage it. We have temperature guns to check people's temperatures before they come through the gate, right? Uh, we're doing everything. Sammy Carr is coming up from the state of Tennessee. Well, we okay. mean he's coming. Okay. I'd love for you to come if you come. Absolutely, because we want to build this model to try to do this across the U.S. Right. So in other words, we can call a venue in Texas and say, hey, we know how to do this now. We had them sold out. We had them spaced out. And hopefully if it goes well, we can say it went well. Right. Would you want to try this out, outdoor your venue instead of in the venues? We think, in the essence, it will probably save us, out of 78 to 115 dates next year, it'll probably save us 30 good-paying, maybe 40 good-paying dates. To get this model up and running. That's what we're doing. Well, good. Well, you gotta be innovative. You have to, and it's it's really hard with this. Because Paul, we really don't know if maybe you guys do. I don't know if we're gonna have a round two. And if we do, what does that look like? Right. You know, will will states put more band dates that will keep businesses like us from moving forward even with new innovations? Right. So will we have to innovate again? There's a lot of questions. You know,
1: visiting with uh, some friends of mine from the Cumberland County Playhouse, and, you know, they have really, really struggled over the last several months not being able to have their plays. And so they're, they're just afraid to pack everyone into those theaters. Uh, I'm on an, an equine association. We're about to have a huge uh, an event in Fort Worth, Texas, We've basically had to cut the crowd down to one-third of the size. We have to do social distancing. We have to do – they're actually the facilities requiring us to have everyone to wear a mask. So it takes innovation, though, to be able to continue to have your events and to be able to get people to adhere to the guidelines that that the events set out. And one thing that I found, the Sequin Association that I'm part of, National Rain Cow Horse Association – We've held events in Las Vegas. We were actually just last month, at the South Point Casino and hotel, we held the first major event back in Las Vegas when it started opening up. Really? And the mayor of Las Vegas came, their director of Public Health came from from Las Vegas, really. And our members who come from all across the United States there to the uh, to the horse show. They adhered to all the guidelines that South Point, Nevada, and Las Vegas had uh, put out for us. And in fact, the mayor and, and the public health officials were like, okay, we can start opening other venues and events up and start having things because people recognize that if they're going to be able to have events, they have to adhere to guidelines. Now, that doesn't mean that they're going to continue to wear that mask once they leave that venue but if they're wanting to participate in a concert like what you're having or a horse show or, or a play at, at uh, Cumberland County Playhouse, people are willing to adhere to those guidelines to be able to get the entertainment that they're after. And so, uh, you know, I'm just
0: saying I encourage it. Uh, we, we You know, I, I don't know that I can, you know, would enforce it, but I, I highly encourage it at, right. uh, at our concerts because, look, even if the mask has a 10% chance of helping me not give it to someone or vice versa, I'll take that chance if it will help save a life. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And,
1: you know, just so the audience knows, you're, you're sitting in my conference room at, mm-hmm. at, at our trucking company, and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, we have over 100 employees. And, yeah. and knock on wood, we've not had a single employee test positive. And my my drivers great. are are going all across the country from That's Washington, great. California to Maine, to Massachusetts, to Florida, Texas, and all points in between. And and we've been very blessed. Uh, but you know, we gave our drivers guidelines early on, and uh, we asked them to adhere to it. And so, and a lot of our customers are doing the same thing. You know, it's a it's become kind of a, a cliche word, a touchless society, if you will, yeah, as far yeah. as whenever you arrive at places. But yeah for sure but, but but again back to the innovation you've got to come up with innovative ideas mm. people are wanting to get out they're yeah. wanting to be entertained they're wanting to support you know daily and Vincent. and they want to feel some normalcy they want to feel normal uh, P, i think that's one of the biggest i do <laughs> I, I, absolutely i, I think yeah. i think that's that's one of the biggest things that people just want to have some normalcy uh, to come back but i also know that there is a spirit of patriotism uh, in America today. People Mm -hmm. want to do what's in the best interest of their country Mm -hmm. because they love the United States. And I think you have a very dear friend that I consider to be one of our greatest patriots as far as the country music industry is concerned. And that's Mr. Lee Greenwood.
0: Lee is a dear friend and and I love Lee. He, uh, he came to uh, the Ryman to our Ryman show was it last uh, July before last and sing God bless the USA and come out there and I had to sing tenor on that thing, man, that thing gets high toward the end. I was having to pull my pants up to hit that one. But uh, yeah, he, he he's a a good fella and um, we've cruised together and, and gone out to eat and all of us as Americans can have fundamental differences Mm -hmm. on any certain issues. But at the end of the day, we, we have to come together. We have to, to set our differences aside and, and uh, uh, love one another. And I'm very proud of America and and what we can accomplish together. And, and when we sit down and talk mm-hmm. and just talk and, right. and try to understand one another. And that makes me very proud. I wrote a song, Paul years ago called American pride with whispering Bill Anderson I wrote this song. and It talks about the flag and basically it talks about, it waves for me and you. That mm-hmm. line, it waves for me yeah. and you. It's not just this group or that group. At the end of the day, if you're an American citizen, it waves for all of us. And it's a beacon to the whole world Absolutely. of freedom. And that's what we all are proud of, is freedom. Absolutely. Uh, you know,
1: when you, when you talk about our American flag, Yes, it gets very emotional. For me, a couple of years ago, I had the opportunity to be in in France mm-hmm. and visit several of our cemeteries mm-hmm. of our World War One soldiers.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: N- number one, the United States government keeps those in immaculate condition in honor of those men that men and women that that died for America. Mm-hmm. But I was also able to participate at several of those cemeteries, the lowering of the flag in the afternoon and the playing of taps. And that is just an emotional.
0: If you don't feel something on that, there's something wrong. Yeah.
1: yeah. There's nothing more beautiful than the red, white, and blue. And to see the honor and the respect that those men and women that are lowering that flag at the end of the day show to the flag, and to America. It's just, it's just awe-inspiring for me and, and to know that that flag has flown over many a conflict, but yet it stands for freedom, it stands for liberty, and it stands for a way of life that no other nation in the world has. we have here in america
0: it does from from every every creed and color and every and i love that about america absolutely it waves for me and you absolutely several years ago we were uh, invited to come to dc and sing for the 25th year commemoration of the wall Mm -hmm. it's cold november day and veterans sit out in the grass with their families you know with blankets and coats and Jimmy Fortune and Darren and I went and, and and stood on that stage, and we were flanked by the Joint Chiefs of Staff, all decked out in their gear, oh wow, in a semi it's like, holy cow, you know we sang the song more than a name on a wall, yes, and as we hit the chorus, it wasn't planned, but Marine One flew over, and I think it had w on board and from what we understand, and as it flew over, it wasn't planned, right. He was just coming in from somewhere. They saluted, and it was right as we hit the course of the song. And on C-SPAN, this was all overseas. I broke down, squalling. I couldn't even get through the course. I cried <laughs> through the whole song. I could, I was so embarrassed because I just couldn't hold my. I couldn't hold my emotions. Mm-hmm. You felt the mighty power, right, of the United States of America, and it was a feeling I will never forget as long as I live.
1: I know I've been to the wall and taken and rubbed my hand and my fingers across yeah. those names and been to the Korean uh, memorial. And, and, I mean, it's just people need to go there and experience that and uh, understand what the cost of freedom has been. so that, And truly means. It truly means that, that, that allows you and I, to both enjoy the careers that we have, you, yeah. enter, you entertaining and bringing hope, bringing yeah. encouragement, bringing inspiration to to millions of people all across America and around the world. People just need to really, really understand what it means to be uh, a patriot, and and I want to thank you for for your songs of patriotism and and for um, inspiring people to love America. So. Thank you for that.
0: Thank you, back. We really, truly appreciate it.
1: As we close out our episode, I'd just like to ask if uh, if there's any final thoughts that that you would have for us.
0: First Timothy 6.12, I think it is. You can check me on that. But, you know, I'm, I'll paraphrase. I can't remember the exact wordings of it because I know people get, you know, upset if you don't word it exactly. But it talks about fighting the good fight. And I think that's what we all have to do. All Americans, we have to fight the good fight. And that's what I try to live by.
1: And that is, that is certainly a scripture to live by. Well, thank you,
0: Jamie Daly. Thank you, Senator. Uh, I thank a lot of you, and I'm proud of you, and, and uh, keep, keep doing what you're doing.
1: Well, thank you. You've been listening to Backroads and Backstories. You can keep up with the latest on the podcast at backroadsandbackstories.com and subscribe, rate, and review the show on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, or wherever fine podcasts are distributed. We'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to the Backroads and Backstories
0: podcast with Senator Paul Bailey. You can keep up with the latest on the podcast at backroadsandbackstories.com. And subscribe, rate, and review the show on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, or wherever fine podcasts are distributed. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time on the Backroads and Backstories podcast.